Good morning, everyone. Hope everybody had a good week. And boy, time sure flies by, doesn't it? Let's begin. So I'll review chapter 10. A lot went on in chapter 10. I'm very excited about this whole thing. It's coming to a, a really dramatic end. And we're starting to see how everything fell into place in the beginning of the book where, where those two gentlemen, if you want to call them gentlemen, turned up dead in London. Under the watch, well, under the eyes of Mr. Sherlock Holmes, which this whole book is about. But we seem to be off that course right now, but we're going to get back into it right away once we once we figure out what's going on with all these other characters in this book here. But everything is leading right back to London. Hope everybody has their coffee in hand. Let's get started. Okay, chapter 10 review. Um, John Ferrier gets a stark warning from Brigham Young, and who's the second charge, second in charge of the Mormon Church next to uh, Joseph Smith, the, the original founder. So he's number two man. And the two main sticking points that they have with him is why hasn't John gotten married yet? And the other sticking point is that they want his daughter to wed one of the uh, one of the boys off the one of the elder sons. And John said that uh, he hasn't married yet because, you know, there's very few women and his daughter's helping him in, in areas of that of the, on the, on a farm and, uh, you know, with the getting things done around the house type of thing. But the real reason why he doesn't want to marry into that, because he has no, no respect at all for the, for the doctrines of the Mormon church. He thinks it's completely wrong, which it is wrong. And he has nothing to do with it, especially his daughter. In, the, in the, that fold. So Brigham Young comes over and s sitting in his house and he's telling him that these are things as want. Then John comes to realize this is a sign to pull out. He definitely does not want anything to do with the doctors of the Mormon church. He is dead against it, especially when it comes to Lucy. So they give him an op uh, ultimatum. He has one month to get married and give Lucy away to the to the church and its doctrines. So after the, the meeting, he, he decides that it's time for him and Lucy to leave Utah. And they both know that it's not going to be easy. And then John decides to wait on, wait for Jefferson Hope, the fiance of Lucy, to make a plan to get themselves out of there, out of harm's way, basically. And he's trying to make sure Lucy just kind of, you know, try to show relaxed uh, composure about himself so Lucy doesn't doesn't get all uh, nervous and scared. And... But basically, John Ferrier is in survival mode right now for him and his daughter. And it's very evident how he locks up the house like a Fort Knox every night before he goes to bed. So, moving on to chapter 11. Uh, before I just going to say, so in other words, the war is on. The battle lines have been drawn between John, Lucy, Jefferson, Hope, and the Mormon Church. On to chapter 11. It's titled, A Flight for Life. And here we go. On the morning which followed his interview with the Mormon prophet, John Ferry went into Salt Lake City. 
and having found his acquaintance who was bound for Nevada mountains, he entrusted him with his message to Jefferson Hope. In it he had said the following, the young man of the imminent, in him he told the young man of the imminent danger which threatened him and Lucy, and how necessary it was for him to return. Having done this, he felt easier in his mind and returned home with a lighter heart. So the message has been sent. Now we just have to wait till he gets it. So John went ahead and basically sent a cry for help to uh, send the SOS to uh, Jefferson Hope to uh, help him and his daughter. As he approached his farm, he was surprised to see a horse hitched each to the post of the gate. Still more surprised was he, was he on entering to find two young men in possession of a sitting room. So who, who does that? Who just walks in someone's house and sits down in their living room? Nobody does that. Talk about nerve. One with a long, pale face was leaning back in a rocking chair with his feet cocked up on a stove. My lord. The other, a bull-necked youth with coarse, bloated features, was standing in the front of the window with his hands in his pockets, whistling a popular hymn. Like he owns the place. Both of them nodded to Ferrier as he entered, and one of them in a rocking chair commenced the conversation. Maybe you don't know us, he said. This here is the son of Elder Drebber, and I'm Joseph, Joseph Stangerson, who traveled with you in the desert when the Lord stretched out his hand and gathered you into the true fold. As he will with all nations, nations in his own good time, said the other in a nasal voice. He grindeth slowly, but exceedingly small. John Ferrier bowed coldly. He had guessed who his visitors were. We have come, continued Stanerson, at the advice of our fathers to solicitate the hand of your daughter, for whichever of us may seem too good to you and to her. As though I have put four wives, and Brother Derby here has seven wives, it appears to me that my claim is a stronger one. Nay, nay, Brother Stanerson, cried the other. The question is not how many wives we have, but how many we can keep. My father has now given over his mills to me, and I am the richer man. So obviously the choice should be me. But my prospects are better, said the other warmly. When the Lord removes my father, I shall have his tanning yard and his leather factory. Then I am your elder, and I am higher in the church. It will be for the maiden to decide, rejoiced the young Drebber, smirking at his own reflection in the glass. Talk about arrogant. We will leave it to all to her decision. My, my, my. During this dialogue, John Ferrier had stood fuming in the doorway, hardly able to keep his riding whip from the backs of his two visitors, ready to give them a good old lashing. Look here, he said, at last striding up to them. When my daughter summons you, you can come. Until then, I don't want to see your fat faces again. The two young Mormons stared at him in amazement. In their eyes, this competition between them for the maiden's hand was the highest of honors, both of her and her father. There are two ways out of the room, cried Ferrier. There is the door and there is the window. Which do you care to use? His brown face looked so savage, his gaunt hands so threatening, that his visitors sprang to their feet and beat the hurried retreat. The old farmer followed him to the door. Let me know when you have settled which is to be, he said sarcastically. You shall smart for this, Stangerson cried, white with rage. You have defiled the prophet in a council of four. You shall rue it to the end of your days. The hand of the Lord shall be heavy upon you, cried young Drebber. He will arise and smite you. 
Then I'll start smiting, exclaimed Ferrier furiously as he would have rushed upstairs for his gun had not before Lucy seized him by the arm and restrained him. So he's ready to shoot their asses. Before he could escape from her, the clatter of, before he could escape from her, the clatter of the horse's hoofs told him that they were beyond his reach. The young canting crascals, he explained, whipping his perspiration, wiping his perspiration from his forehead. I would sooner see you in your grave, my girl, than wife either of them. And so should I, father, she answered with a spirit. But Jefferson will be here soon. Yes, it will not be long before he comes. The sooner the better, for we do not know what their next move may be. Wow. Talk about... Talk about self-righteous or what? Oh, my Lord. Crazy. The nerve. The nerve. I know I would have shot their asses. It was, indeed, high time that someone capable of giving advice and help should come to the aid of the sturdy old farmer and his daughter. In the whole history of the settlement, there has never been such a case of rank disobedience to the authority of the elders. If minor errors were punished so sternly, what would be the fate of this arch-rebel? Ferrier knew that his wealth and position would be, of no, would be of no avail to him. Others as well known and as rich as himself have been spirited away before now, and their, gods, their goods given over to the church. He was a brave man, but he trembled at the vague, shadowy terrors which hung over him. Any known danger he could face with a firm lip, but this suspense was unnerving. He concealed his fears from his daughter, however, the affected, and affected to make light of the whole matter, though she, with the keen eyes of love, saw plenty that he was ill at ease. He expected that he would receive some message or backlash from Young as to his conduct, and he was not mistaken, though it came in an unforeseen manner. Upon rising next morning, he found, to his surprise, a small square of paper pinned on a coverlet of his bed, just over his chest, and on it was printed in bold, strangling letters. Twenty-nine days are given you for the amendment, and then a long dash. The dash is more fear-inspiring than any threat could have been. How this warning came into his room puzzled John fairly sorely. For his servants slept in an outhouse, and the doors and windows had all been secured. He crumbled the paper up and said nothing to his daughter, but the incident struck a chill into his heart. The twenty-nine days were evidently the balance of the month which Young had promised. What strength or courage could avail against an enemy armed with such mysterious powers? The hand which fastened the pin might have struck him to the heart, and he could have never known who had slain him. They could have killed him right there in the spot, and they could have got away with it, and they just kidnapped Lucy. Never knew that the Mormon church was so, um, hmm. I'll figure out a good word that's going to sound nice later, if I can find a nice word for it. Still more shaken than he was the next morning. They had sat down to their breakfast when Lucy, with a cry of surprise, pointed upward. In the center of the ceiling was scrawled with a burnt stick, apparently, the number 28. To his daughter it was unintelligible, he had and he did not enlighten her. He didn't tell her what was going on with these numbers. That night he sat up with his gun and kept watching Ward. He saw and heard nothing, and yet in the morning a great 27 had been painted upon the outside of his door. How on earth are they getting away with this without him noticing that? It's beyond me. Talk about ninja-style terrorism. 
You gotta love the Mormon church, I guess. Thus the day followed, and as sure as the morning came, he found this unseen enemies had kept their register and had marked up some in up. I'm sorry. Thus the following day, and sure as the morning came, he found that this unseen enemies had kept their register and had marked up in some conspicuous, conspicuous position how many days were still left for him out of the month of that month of grace that they gave him to uh, relent. Sometimes the fatal numbers appeared upon the walls, sometimes upon the floors. Or occasionally they appeared on small placards stuck upon the garden gate or the railings. With all his villages, John Ferrier could not discover whence these daily warnings proceeded. A horror, which is almost superstitious, came upon him at the sight of them. He became haggard and restless, and his eyes had the troubled look of some hunted creature. He had but one hope in life, and that was the arrival of the young hunter from Nevada, Jefferson Hope. Twenty had changed to fifteen, and fifteen to ten, but there was no news of the absentee, or Jefferson. One by one the numbers dwindled down, and still there came no sign of him. Whenever a horseman, horseman clattered down the road or a driver shouted at his team, the old farmer hurried to the, to the gate, thinking that the help finally arrived at last. At last, when he saw five giving way to four, and that again to three, he lost his heart and abandoned all hope of escape. Single-handed, with his limited knowledge of the mountains which surrounded the settlement, he knew that he was powerless. The more frequent roads were strictly washed and guarded, and none could pass along without an order from the council. He's in a prison here, basically a prison camp in Utah. Turn what he would, there appeared to be no avoiding the blow which hung over him. Yet the old man never wavered in his resolution to part with life itself before he consented to what he regarded as his daughter's dishonor. Poor guy's going through hell. He was sitting alone one evening, pondering deeply over his troubles and searching vainly for some way out of them. That morning had shown the figure two upon the wall of his house, and the next day would be the last one of the allotted time. What was to happen then? All manner of vague and terrible fancies filled his imagination, and his daughter, what has become of her after he was gone? Was there no escape from this invisible network which drawn all around him? He sunk his head upon the table and sobbed at the thought of his own impotence. What was that? In the silence he heard a gentle scratching sound, low but very distinct, in the quiet of the night. It came from the door of the house. Freyer crept into the hall, listened intently. There was a pause for a moment. Then a low, insidious sound was repeated. Someone evidently was tapping very gently upon one of the panels of the door. Was it some midnight assassin? who came to carry out the murderous order of the secret tribunal, or was it some agent who was making up the last day of grace that had arrived? John Ferrier felt that instant death would be better than suspense which shook his nerves and chilled his heart. Springing forward, he drew, open, drew the bolt and threw the door open. Outside was all calm and quiet. The night was fine, and the stars were twinkling brightly overhead. The little front garden lay before the farmer's eyes, bounded by the fence and by the gate. But neither there nor on the road was any human being to be seen. With a sigh of relief, Ferrier looked to the right, looked to the left, until, happening to glance straight down at his feet, he saw, to his astonishment, a man laying flat upon his face upon the ground, with his arms and legs all sprawled out. So unnerved was he at the sight of this that he leaned up against the wall with his hand to his throat, 
to stifle his inclination to call out. He first thought that was a, he first thought his first thought was that the prostrate figure was that one of some wounded or dying man. But as he watched it, he saw it wither along the ground into the hall with a rapidity and no noiseless of a serpent, like wormy. He's like a wormy. Once inside the house, the man sprung to his feet, closed the door, and revealed the astonished farmer with fierce face and resolute expression of Jefferson Hope. Good God, gasped John Ferrier. How you scared the crap out of me. Whatever made you come in like that? Give me food, he said hoarsely. I have no time for bite or supper. Eighty-four hours. Eighty to forty hours. Eight and forty hours. Sorry. He flung himself upon the cold meat and bread which were still lying upon the table from the host's supper and devoured them viciously. Does Lucy bear up as well? He asked, when he was all satisfied with his hunger. Yes, she does not know the danger, her father answered. That is well. The house is washing every side. This is why I crawled up my way into it. They may be darn sharp, but they're not quite sharp enough to catch a wasu hunter. <laughs> John Ferrier felt a different man now that he realized that he had a devoted ally. He seized the young man's leathery hand and wrung it cordially. He must be happy as a bug there right now, I tell you. Thrilled to death, finally got some help. You're a man to be proud of, he said. There are not many who will come to share our danger and our troubles, especially going through all that. You've hit it there hard, pard, the young, young hunter answered. I have respect for you, but if you were alone in this business, I would think twice before I put my head into such a hornet's nest. It's Lucy that brings me here. And before her, before harm comes to her, I guess it'll be one less of the old Hope family in Utah. So in other words, he's going to sacrifice his life for Lucy. Aww. Now, isn't that just the coolest thing? How nice. That's what you call love right there. There is good in the world, people. What are we to do? Tomorrow is your last day, and unless you act, Tonight we are lost. I have a mule and two horses waiting in the Eagle Ravine. How much money do you have? I have $2,000 in gold and five in notes. That will do. I have as much more to add to it. We must push for Carson City through the mountains. You had best wake up Lucy now. It is all well that the servants do not sleep in the house. So we're going to pull a whole evacuation here. While Ferry was absent preparing his daughter for the approaching journey, Jefferson Hope packed all these eatables he could find in a small parcel and filled a stoneware jar with water for he knew by experience that the mountain wells were few and far between he had hardly completed his arrangements before the farmer returned with his daughter all dressed and ready for a start the greeting between the lovers was warm but brief for two minutes were precious but there was so much to be done we must start out here at once said jefferson speaking in a low resolute voice like one who realizes the greatness of the peril but has steeled his heart to meet it. The front and back entrances are watched, but with caution we may get away through the side window and cross the fields. Once on the road, we are only two miles from the ravine where the horses are waiting. By, da by daybreak, we should be halfway through the mountains. What if we are stopped? asked Ferrier. Hope slapped the revolver, but which protruded from the front of his tunic. If there are too many for us, we shall take two or three of them with us, he said with a sinister smile. Looking forward to the fight. The lights inside the house hall had been extinguished, and from a dark window, Ferrier appeared over the fields which he had, which had been his own, which he was now about to abandon forever. 
He had long nerved himself to sacrifice. However, the thought of the honor of the happiness of his daughter outweighed any regret of his ruined fortunes. That's so cool. All looked so peaceful and happy. The rustling trees and broad, silent stretch of grain land that it was difficult to realize that the spirit of murder lurked through it all. Yet the white face and set expression of the younger hunter showed that his approach to the house had been seen enough to satisfy upon the head. So they're surrounded, basically, and the house is being watched very closely with the Mormons, quote-unquote. Ferrier carried a bag of golden notes. Jefferson hoped that the scanty provisions and water, while Lucy had a small bundle containing a few more of her valued possessions. Opening the window very slowly and carefully, they waited until dark cloud had somewhat obscured the night and the blocking the light of the moon. Then only one could pass through the, into the little garden. With bated breath, let me repeat that. Opening the window very slowly and carefully, they waited until a dark cloud had somewhat obscured the night. And then, one by one, passed through into the little garden. So they're sneaking out the window. With bated breath and crouching figures, they stumbled across it and gained the shelter of the hedge, which they skirted until they came to the gap which opened up into the cornfield. They just reached this point when a young man seized his two companions and dragged him down to the shadows, where they lay silent and trembling. It was all well. This prairie training had given Jefferson hope the ears of a lynx. He and his friends had hardly crouched down before the melancholy hooting of a mountain owl, which was heard within a few yards of them, which was immediately answered by another hoot at a small distance. Hmm. At the same moment, a vague, shadowy figure emerged from the gap for which they had been making and uttered the plain, plaintive single cry again, on which a second man appeared to be out of, appeared out of obscurity. Tomorrow at midnight, said the first, who appeared to be an authority, when the whippoorwill calls three times. It is well, returned the other. I shall tell Brother Drebber. Passing on to him from, from him to the others. Nine to seven. Seven to five, repeated the other. The other two figures flitted away in different directions. Their concluding words had evidently been some form sign of a counter, some form of a sign, and countersign. They're communicating in uh, code, basically. The instant that their footsteps had died away in the distance, Jefferson Hope sprang to his feet and helping his companions through the gap. So try to imagine this. They got the house, they jump out the window to the hedges, you know, most farms has their fields like, say, 20, 30 feet away to the yard, basically. So you can you imagine looking there and there's all these evildoers, we'll call them, are waiting for them to appear so they can kidnap Lucy and shoot the two guys. That's what their plan is. So it must be one very stressful situation right there. Let me go back up just a little bit. The instant that their footsteps had died away in the distance, Jefferson Hope sprang to his feet and, helping his companions through the gap, led the way across the fields at full speed, supporting and half carrying the girl where her strength appeared to fail her. Aw, oh, a true, true hero right there, taking care of his little lass. Hurry on, hurry on, he gasped from time to time. We are through the line of sentinels. Everything depends on speed. Hurry on. Once on the high road, they made rapid progress. Only once did they meet anyone, 
and they managed to slip into the field to avoid recognition. Before reaching the town, the hunter branched away into a rugged and narrow footpath which led to the mountains. Two dark, jagged peaks loomed over them through the darkness, and the defile which led them between was the Eagle Ravine, in which the horses were awaiting them. With unerring instinct, Jefferson picked his way among the great boulders and along the bed of the dried-up watercourse until he came to the retired corner, screened with rocks where the faithful animals had been picketed. The girl was placed upon a mule, and old John Ferrier upon one of the horses with his money bag, while Jefferson Hope had led the, led the other along in precipitous, dangerous paths. So they're on their way to safety. What a night. It was a bewildering route for anyone who was not accustomed to the face nature in her wildest moods. On one side of this, the great crag toward up a thousand feet or more, black, stern, and menacing was a long basaltic columns upon his rugged surface like the ribs of some petrified monster. On the other hand, a wild chaos of boulders and debris made all the advance impossible. Between the two ran a regular track, so narrow in places that they had to travel the Indian file, single file, basically and so rough that only the practiced riders could have traversed it at all. Yet in spite of all the dangers and difficulties, the hearts of the fugitives were light within them. For every step increased the distance between them and her terrible despotism from which they were flying. They soon had proof, however, that they were still within the jurisdiction of the saints, the Latter-day Saints. Aren't they just the greatest thing since sliced bread? They had reached the very wildest and most desolate portion of the pass when a girl gave a startled cry and pointed upward. On the rock which overlooked the track, showing out dark and plain against the sky, there stood a solitary sentinel. He saw them as they perceived him in his military challenge. Who goes there? rang the silent through the silent ravine. Travelers for Nevada, said Jefferson Hope with his hand on the rifle which hung by his saddle. They could see the lonely watcher fingering his gun and peering down at them as if dis dissatisfied at the reply. By whose permission, he asked. The Holy Four, answered Ferrier. His Mormon experiences taught him that there was the highest authority to which he could refer. Nine to seven, cried the sentinel. Seven to five, returned Jefferson Hope promptly, remembering the countersign which he had heard in the, in the garden. So that's how they... And give the approval for something they have to do. They both have a 9 to 7 and 7 to 5, which means yes, no, yes, no, yes, no kind of thing, you know. So that, that worked out. Good thing Jefferson remembered that little uh, little signal that they use. 7 to 5, returned Jefferson Hope promptly, remembering the countersign which he had heard in the garden. Pass, and the Lord go with you, said the voice from above. So they got through with good thinking. Thank God for Jefferson Hope. Beyond this post, the path broadened out, and the horses were able the horses were able to break out into a trot. Looking back, they could see the solitary watcher leaning upon his gun, and knew that they would be past the outlying post of the chosen people, and that freedom lay before them. Wow. What a night. What a night. They escaped. Success. All thanks to the young man, Jefferson Hope, who is currently serving time in London for the murder of the two Mormons.
But as we can see, he is the really the true hero of this whole story, saving those two like he did. I'm kind of looking forward to getting the next chapter like right now, but I won't do it. I'll wait till next week. It's getting very good. We're coming close to the end here. And we're going to see, just, just glancing ahead a little bit here, it's uh, the next chapter. I'll just give you a little, little uh, preview. Let's do a preview. <laughs> chapter 12 is called The Avenging Angels. I'm assuming that's going to be the, uh, when I say the avenging, it must be something to do with the uh, members of the church. Looking for uh, a party that escaped, I think. I'm only guessing. And then in chapter 13, we get back into London, looks like. So it's getting, it's getting very good. I bet you it's going to be a really good ending on this. Yes, 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 yes. It's going to take us a couple more. Where, where, where are we here now? Just, just give me one second, folks. Sorry I'm rambling on here. Uh, chapter 12. I'm going to name the chapters for you. Chapter 12, The Avenging Angels, which I'm assuming is going to be them trying to get them. And then we move on into, uh, let's see, bear with me. Chapter 13, A Continuation of the Reminiscences of John H. Watson, M.D. So now we're back with uh, Watson in 13. And then chapter 14 is the conclusion. So we should be uh, into the middle of uh, November by the time we get to the end of the, to the book. And no, no spoiler alerts for anybody. Forget that. I'm only giving you a little hint of what's coming up. I'm getting very excited about this book. And uh, rumor has it, by the way, the next book, The Sign of Four, is even better than this book. I can't wait to get into that. And I already have the other two or three books in my possession to continue on with the podcast. I'm just having so much fun with this. Okay, folks, that's it for today. I really hope everybody's enjoying the, the podcast, and I encourage you to spread the word, please. I'm going to try and go into uh, uh, Spotify, contact the, the people at Spotify, and see how about we can get this thing with a bigger audience. So if those of you who are on a Spotify app, Please share and uh, hit the, I think you hit the like button and follow, follow me. And if you have the Spotify for podcasters, I think you can do the same thing. I'll get more information on that for next week. But please spread the word and just say, hey, this guy's good. <laughs> Give me a little bump there, will you? I want to get a real nice big audience for everybody. Then we can have questions and answers too. I'm going to open, speaking of that, let me just stop there for a second. Speaking of that, if those of you who are on the uh, podcast uh, Spotify for Podcasters app, there is a section there you can ask questions about the book. And I did open it up, so you can just go in there if you're interested in anything. Like, if you don't understand some part of the book, go ahead and freely ask questions. And please just keep the questions pertaining to the book only, if you don't mind. Um, but like I said, it's getting very exciting. So our, so our three heroes... I've escaped from the, from the grips of the Mormon church. And no, I'm not going to go on about the Mormon church, even though I really want to right now, but I'm going to keep that in. I don't want to get too opinionated on the, 
you know, on the things of the world here, we'll say, for lack of a better term. Okay? So, next week, we're into the Avenging Angels, and I'm getting very excited. I'm really enjoying this. I'm having a lot of fun. I hope you guys enjoy it just as much as I do. And like I said, please share uh, subscribe. That's the word I'm looking for. Subscribe to the uh, podcast. And let's see if we can get ourselves a bigger audience together. All of us. Everybody have a great week. And keep one thing in mind. Time flies by when you're having fun. Bye for now, folks.